is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're so mad, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Welcome old school fans. They are hanging from the rafters here tonight. Well, not actually, but welcome back anyway to the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Podcast exclusively on the SNS Radio Network. It is Beyond the Bell. I'm your host, independent ring announcer Sean Beckerman, back with you to bring you all things retro in wrestling. This is your home for classic sports entertainment, professional wrestling, lucha libre, you name it. We cover it. Nostalgia, Beyond the Bell, go hand in hand. Welcome back, guys and gals. Tonight, we open up the Horseman Files. We go back in time through the archives to relive, arguably, it's pretty hard to even argue, the most illustrious faction in professional wrestling. Ric Flair's led Four Horsemen. This is one of our more historic series on Beyond the Bell as it seemed to have been running since almost the inception of Beyond the Bell a few years prior. We've periodically debuted special editions of this series and then there have been some large gaps in between chapters and now we run into 2014 the end of the year as we decide to open up the Horseman Files once again and cover the early 90s in Four Horsemen history. We plan on covering this entire series all the way through the late 90s to the death of WCW, which in turn seemed to be the death of the Four Horsemen in terms of in-ring action. First off, I want to commend Jeff Jackson 
and Bronxzilla, Tony J. Mirabella, and the Unplugged crew for some great shows over the past couple of weeks, some great guests. Johnny Mundo, Chavo Guerrero Jr., and Matt Stryker from the Lucha Underground promotion as it's become a big highlight for the SNS Radio Network. Also, on Unplugged, you can catch this day in wrestling history as we cover that date on Unplugged in the history of professional wrestling. What took place? Listen back to the audio from that day in the Monumental Archives history. Yes, three terms compacted into this day in history on Unplugged, the longest reigning episodic segment in Unplugged history. Yes, I said it, Michael Cole. It's this day in wrestling history on Unplugged. You can catch each and every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central at SNSRadioNetwork.com. You can also listen to the archive of the show, post-live edition, at SNSRadioNetwork.com. So enough of my blabber-jabber. After this quick break, get ready to relive the years 91 and 92 in the history of the Four Horsemen. We combined two years as a big decision was made by Nature Boy Ric Flair to leave the NWA slash WCW and join the World Wrestling Federation, in turn, putting the Four Horsemen on the shelf. So we combine the years 1991 and 1992 in one of the most controversial times in Four Horsemen history this week on Beyond the Bell as we kick off the November content on BTB. So, get ready to relive the kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-riding, jet-flying son-of-a-guns known as the Four Horsemen right after this quick timeout. This October, El Rey Network presents a new vision of an age-old contest measured by courage, decided by combat. Lucha Underground premieres October 29th on the new El Rey Network. They're old school fans. Miss the Attitude Era? Miss the Texas Rattlesnake? Well, Beyond the Bell is here to cover your needs. Host Sean Beckerman presents the Stone Cold Chronicles, the history and career of the legendary Hall of Famer Stone Cold Steve Austin. Relive Stone Cold's historic career chronologically from his early days through WCW into the World Wrestling Federation, the Ringmaster, to the Attitude Era as Stone Cold was born, leading to his legendary status and the Hall of Fame. So get ready to stomp a mud hole and walk it dry on the Stone Cold Chronicles exclusively on the SNS Radio Network. Give me a hell yeah! Now listen, this ain't no make believe. Come on, open your eyes and see. Hola, this is Jenny Mundo, and you're listening to the SNS Radio Network. Yeah. 
it was less than two weeks into 1991, but you knew it was bound to be a wild year for both before and behind the cameras for the illustrious group, the Four Horsemen. In front of the camera, Sting had marched out to a horrendous feud with the Black Scorpion, later revealed to be Nature Boy Ric Flair, in which we discussed in the last edition of The Horseman Files. World title intact, Sting victorious, the Horsemen had added new blood to their roster with Sid Vicious and a familiar face in Barry Windham, as well as a manager they could trust, Ole Anderson this time. Arn's TV title was the group's only gold, recently regained after Arn had briefly dropped it to Tom Zink. As the year began, Arn was the sole title holder. But to count them out at this point would be ridiculous, of course. They are the four horsemen. Flair still had his head in the world title scene. Wyndham and Anderson were tagging together regularly, and common sense would lead Sid after Lex Luger's U.S. title to round out the roster, of course. Backstage, however, away from the glare of the cameras, the former Jim Crockett Promotions venture was at the center of some debate with its NWA partners. Some years back, Ted Turner had bought out Crockett's small group and renamed it World Championship Wrestling. WCW had been just a small part of a larger whole, the NWA. It was Turner that put the NWA programming specifically on TBS. And when the two sides began bickering in early 91, it was Turner who left the coalition and took all the stars with him. Early January would mark the last time you would see the letters NWA on Turner airtime. To further this change and to solidify it, Turner held a world title match between Ric Flair and Sting, the two top contenders, with the winner laying claim to the very first ever WCW World Championship title belt. Flair took the victory and was recognized by the NWA as their world champion, Taboo. They wanted to separate the promotion from the NWA. Very similar years and years, decades later, that total nonstop action did with the NWA. Well, I was a huge fan of Ric Flair's. And we had done an angle in Louisiana where he was going to wrestle me at the Superdome for the NWA world title. Well... Um, I get to the building, the Superdome, at like 2 in the afternoon. I have to be there till 6. And I'm doing push-ups and blue-dry my hair nine times. This is my big main event versus Ric Flair on top. You know, good house. It's super hard. So I'm waiting and waiting. 7 o'clock, he's not there. 7.30, he's not there. 8 o'clock, the thing starts, he's still not there. About 8.15, he rolls in, and I mean reeks of alcohol got like a looks like he's been wearing the same clothes three days hairs matted he stinks and he's actually getting helped in by one of the security guys who's carrying his bag we didn't have wheelie bags back then and and rick's robe and rick lays on the couch and says come get me in an hour you're this is your opportunity to make me look good 
That's what Ric Flair does. How are you going to make Terry Taylor into a bigger star when you're so hungover you can't even open your eyes? I was hot. I was, oh, I was mad at him. The best part was, he says to me, bring me a cup of coffee in an hour. So now I'm the coffee guy, right? So I go, I do as I'm told. I get him the coffee. And I, I don't, we're, the match is getting ready to go. And he's still in his clothes and he's a mess. We got about 20 minutes. And the guy comes and gets me on one of the golf carts and says, you got to go to the other side. So they pick, give me the golf cart and you drive around in the golf cart because the Superdome's so big. And I've got my little jacket on and I'm mad. Ric Flair didn't come here ready to make me look good. So I go to the ring and there's 26, 27 thousand people out there all ah, his music plays and I'm, I'm seething because I'm gonna have to carry Ric Flair to a 12 minute match which at the time I didn't know if I could do or not he walks through that curtain his hair is immaculate he's got the robe on and he comes walking out in full Ric Flair mode I'm like okay well the guy had a cup of coffee and he's got his hair done and he looks okay 40 minutes later I'm begging him to pin me because I can't breathe anymore and he's going, let's go, let's go, let's go. I can't breathe. Finally, he pins. I had never been more happy to lose a match in my life. 48 minutes we went when he couldn't even open his eyes an hour before that. And I said, this guy's not from planet Earth. Next that night, later on, Bourbon Street, having a great time. Not me, him. I was in the iron lung trying to get my breath back. Ric Flair was amazing. I, I can't tell you. And, and that, that, that whole story's true. I'm not, I'm not embellishing any of it because he legitimately couldn't walk when he got there and an hour later, coffeeed up, he went an hour, 48 minutes. Woo! <laughs> He's the man. Flair and Sting renewed their rivalry on all the airwaves, this time bringing their friends into the mix. The horsemen found themselves opposed by Sting, Brian Pillman, and the Steiners in an eight-man tag team match, and not just one match, but multiple matches across the nation. The next generation of stars seemed to be taking shape right before our very eyes. And the groups traded dance partners as well as victories for the majority of the first month. Not long into the headlining feud, the horsemen brought Al Gigante into the mix, inadvertently or not, Gigante was struggling through an interview with Jim Ross, rambling on about nothing in particular one evening early in February. As the giant crept along with his broken English, the horseman made an, an unannounced arrival and put the boots to Gigante in horseman fashion. Before the night was over, a nearly eight-foot monster of a man had, gone, had done his best to return the favor, but he found out that Ric Flair backstage could not be handled and the two brawled the night away as the horsemen would take charge to the monstrous new star welcome back to tbs ladies and gentlemen at this time please welcome to world championship wrestling the heavyweight champion of the world nature boy rick flair flair making his way to the ring we're going to ask the champion a couple of questions specifically relating to his world's heavyweight championship on the friday night january the 11th in the meadowlands arena flair became the heavyweight champion for the seventh time and and rick at the top of the program we heard comments from the seven foot seven inch 
450-pound Eligante. He didn't miss words. He said, I want the belt. He's referring to your title. Long before we'll spend one moment of the one and only World Heavyweight Champion time talking about the Giants. We'll talk about Ric Flair, Jim Ross. We'll talk about this because whether you out there like it or don't like it, I'm back bigger than life for the seventh time. Bright lights, big cities, pretty ladies, power, prestige, fame, anything that I want in the wrestling world today comes my way. And you know why, Jim Ross? Because I am the world heavyweight wrestling champion. I want Sting do. Where is he? <laughs> wow, look at this. Wait just a second here. I want the belt. I want your belt. What you better do, my friend, is remember you're talking direct flare, the world champion. And you better remember something else. All my wrestling career, I have specialized in big guys. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And the bottom line is, Ric Flair is back for the seventh time. Woo! All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll keep our eye on this situation, but right now... El Gigante began, began slowly building a single-man offense against each of the horsemen and their allies from that moment on, which suited Sting and company just fine, of course. He took on Barry Windham one evening, dominating most of their matchup. Windham bladed, and Gigante appeared ready to put the match away when Flair made the run in it and returned the favor from several nights ago. Gigante was featured on The Danger Zone, the talk show of horseman ally Paul E. Dangerously, Paul Heyman, and took a verbal assault from the energetic mouth before getting physical and attacking him on his very own program. Still, it wasn't enough to merit a meeting at the next pay-per-view event, the 1991 edition of WrestleWar. The horsemen took on their standard opponents of the day, Sting, Pillman, and the Steiners, in a War Games match. The double ring cage. Unfortunately, much of the magic of this gimmick had been drained in several years past, and not even the star power featured in this match could do much to save it. The horsemen's history with the event gave them the necessary edge to put the 91 edition in the bag. In turn, they walked away the decisive victors after winning the coin toss and enjoying a constant advantage. It probably didn't hurt that they'd softened Pillman up considerably the night before either. If you want to go back to the rules of the War Games match, you can go to previous editions of the Horseman Files as we, as we cover that extensively. We won't go into much detail tonight as we did previously, but the War Games concept 
one of the most innovative in professional wrestling history, especially from WCW slash the NWA. Yes, the main event, Jim Ross, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. We're just hours away as we tape this broadcast on Sunday morning. As you see the broadcast, we're less than one hour away from the big event tonight right here in Phoenix, the third annual Wrestle War. Everybody here in this city is talking about war games. Well, it's running rampant. War games is, is on everybody's tongue. The lips are talking about it because this is an opportunity. Steel cage with a top on it. Four men, four men from this side. They all get in there. Submit a surrender. It's going to be dynamite. Let's take a look at the war games. Sid Vicious working on Fly and Brian, the two teams that will compete on Sunday night, February 24th in the war games are involved in this tag team event. Fly and Brian, the Steiner brothers, and their captain, the Stinger, here taking on Sid Vicious, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and their captain, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. In Phoenix, it will be two rings sitting side by side, completely enclosed by steel cage. You see referee Nick Patrick, the senior official in WCW, attempting to maintain a little law and order here. Exclusively on pay-per-view at War Games, the referees will not be in the ring. Barry Windham going for a pin here. Rick Steiner interrupted the count at War Games. Pinfalls do not count. In War Games, inside the giant steel cage with a top on it, the match continues until one man either submits or surrenders. Listen to this impact. You can tell the intense rivalry between these eight men will reach its crescendo in the most physically intense competition WCW wrestling has ever seen. Scott Steiner sending Ric Flair, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, to the corner with the Irish whip. Scott Steiner with a succession of Steiner lines. Great right hand by Steiner. Now all eight men are entering the ring. This is much of what it will be like on Sunday, February 24th, this Sunday night. A match where there is no time limit. A match where there is no count out, where there is no disqualification, where there are no referees in the ring. A match that will continue until one member of either team submits or surrenders. Decision, both teams have been disqualified. Again, there will be no disqualification this Sunday night exclusively on pay-per-view. Those four men, led by Sting, will take on the horsemen who will submit or surrender. All eight are vehement that none of them will. Sting and his teammates tuning up for this big event before another capacity crowd in this eight-man tag team event. But remember the differences in the war games. There is no tagging. There's 
no referee in the ring. There are no disqualifications. There are no count outs. You're gonna see so many high impact moves. Moves designed to hurt the opponent and incapacitate that man to the extent that he will either submit or surrender. And as we have researched the eight men background in this matchup, we have found that none of the eight have ever given up. None of the eight have ever submitted. You can see the referee again trying to maintain some semblance of the rules in this contest. But this Sunday night exclusively on pay-per-view, it cannot be stopped for blood. It cannot be stopped for a disqualification. It will continue until someone submits or surrenders. Wrestling's most unique and brutal battle inside a double ring steel cage. And as we saw Sting and his teammates preparing, we see Ric Flair and the Horsemen preparing in an eight-man tag team environment. The horsemen certainly enjoy hurting people. One would have to think that they're led in that department by the awesome 6'9", 330-pound Sid Vicious. In the last several weeks, Sid Vicious has not only defeated every opponent, but he's had every opponent carried out of the arena. And the reason for that is this awesome move called the powerbomb. There will be again no pinfalls Sunday night. The unbelievable strength and power of Vicious as he is power bombing every member of the opposing team. Will he be able to do this? the Sting or the Steiners or Fly and Bryant. Can one even imagine any of the horsemen submitting or surrendering? A giant cage surrounds the ring. This indeed, the most awesome confrontation ever on pay-per-view television. Awesome combinations when they're both at full strength. Unfortunately for Sting and his teammates, they are not at full strength after what happened last night to Flying Brian. Well, you know, Brian Pillman is a tremendous competitor. I know in the situation now, in the camp of Sting and the Steiners, they have to be getting together to maybe reform some new strategy because it's very important for him because Brian Pillman was injured last night, as we all seen. Ladies and gentlemen, in case you did not see that situation, when we come back, we'll take you back to last night's broadcast here on TBS and World Championship Wrestling and show you the attack perpetrated by the Horsemen. After months of tension, let the war games begin. First time, live on pay-per-view, Sunday night, February 24th, an explosive eruption, Wrestle War 91. Two rings enclosed in a steel cage. Two teams battling, each submission or surrender. There's no escape. Championship Wrestling Superstars Sting and Lex Luger. The true grit of the Steiner Brothers. The aerial assault of Brian Bryan. And 
ride the horseman ride. I want you at Wrestle War 90. Wrestle War 91 featuring War Games. Live only on pay-per-view Sunday, February 24th. Nevertheless, the horsemen came out once again victors from a match. They consider the consider themselves as experts. And the nights after their victory, the horsemen proved they hadn't forgotten about El Gigante, making their presence in his matches a common occurrence. In one instance, Gigante was in the middle of a squash victory when Flair ran in and laid out his own particular variation of his Nature Boy Smackdown. Before he could do much damage, however, Sting threw his hat back into the mix, back into the picture, and made the save. Weeks later, the four were meeting regularly in tag team ranks across the country. In the meantime, however, Sid and Fly and Brian were involved in a series of their own. The feud had been hinted for a long time before. In the two-ring battle royal at the 1989 Great American Bash, it really spawned the, or it was the spark that ignited between the two. Sid and then-partner Dan Spivey walked away from that one victorious, splitting the winner's cash reward between them, so to speak. But Pillman had been involved in heated exchanges with both, in which he found himself the last man sent to the floor. Sid had been on a rampage in the months prior, basically destroying any jobber unlucky enough to get in his way and sending them home on their backs. In the middle of one of these matches, or squashes, Pillman decided enough was enough and made the run-in, standing up for the smaller guy. This was another instance in which Pillman was involved as a foe of the horseman. Very apropos, as we'll discuss in the future installments of the Horseman Files. Surprisingly enough, however, the two never had a proper blow-off. Facing opposition, Vicious decided to modify his tactics a bit. He wouldn't destroy his own opponents. he just find somebody else's. Fellow horseman Barry Windham was facing Ricky Morton on an episode of WCW Worldwide when Vicious tried this new strategy. Sid stalked into the ring, planned his day, and delivered a powerbomb on the former Rock and Roll Express member. The two continued their assault until Pillman figured out what was going on and made yet another save. Morton went home on a gurney. So like I mentioned, the two never really had a proper blow-off. Sid went to the next pay-per-view, Super Brawl 1991, against the perennial horseman opponent, El Gigante, in a specific match known as No Holds Barred, Loser Leaves Town Stretcher Match. Got that one? No Holds Barred, Loser Leaves Town Stretcher Match. Enough gimmick, enough gimmicks in that one, huh? Apparently, WCW wasn't large enough for the two of them, and Vicious, unimpressed by his push, was headed straight for the open arms of Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation, going from Vicious to Justice. This was the only way to settle things, the loser leaves town, no holds barred stretcher match. Still, in a day and age before the internet, news of Sid's jump traveled slowly, 
and the match's outcome wasn't spoiled by rumors of his contract's end. Therefore, a lot of fans, if not most, did not know who would win this match. It still had some aura of anticipation. In the month prior to the card, WCW and New Japan had co-promoted a show in Tokyo where IWGP champion Tatsumi Fujinami took on WCW slash NWA champion Nature Boy Ric Flair. This pitted his Japanese gold against Flair's WCW title. Though both were just passing their prime at the time of the encounter, they never really got things together in the ring. At their first meeting, Flair carried an early advantage through the bout, working primarily on the leg as always. When Fujinami made his comeback, Flair fell back into character and begged off, already wearing a crimson mask. The ref took a fall, and in the aftermath, Fujinami threw Flair over the top rope in what should have been an automatic DQ. Flair, surprisingly, slid back into the ring just as a second ref ran in and counted the fall in Fujinami's favor. WCW officials argued that the challenger's actions warranted a disqualification and that Flair was still the rightful champion. But the NJPW didn't see things the way WCW had and both men were declared WCW champion in their respective home country in unprecedented fashion. The rematch was set for Super Brawl where fellow horseman Arn Anderson would be defending his TV title against constant challenge of Bobby Eaton. Sid would be fighting the aforementioned bout with El Gigante, and Barry Windham was nowhere to be found. Interestingly enough, though, the Super Bowl card would also see the introduction of a man that would, for better or worse, hold a strong influence on the company in later years, under his real name, Kevin Nash. He wasn't working as himself, of course, as this was the early 90s and pro wrestling still stunk to a high heaven of a gimmick circus sideshow. Nash was instead dubbed as Oz, and he came out complete with a manager named The Wizard, who walked a yellow brick road, yes. It isn't even as simple as a poor gimmick choice, however. Nash's character was advertised to the extremes on television. See, Turner had recently picked up the rights to a great many classic films for exclusive airing on his networks, and The Wizard of Oz was listed among the masses. Billionaire Ted, in all his majesty, figured there was nothing like free advertising, so he went about promoting his buy to this unique fashion. Therefore, Oz was born. Died at the time, gray hair and all. This time, Kevin Nash could do the gray hair in real life. Oz debuted in WCW. The Wizard aside, Sid and El Gigante made their way to the ring as fans screamed their heads off for Sid to be taken out by the giant monster. Incredibly, the audience was lively before, during, and even after, despite the plotting work in the ring. You could suppose that there may be a place for this story in wrestling, after all. 
Anyway, the match crept along to a finish in a relatively short amount of time, and Gigante took the V for victory with his dreaded claw hold, sending Vicious out of WCW in a huff. The loss of their big man match was the least of the horsemen's worries, losing the their big man you would think would be a fatal blow to the horsemen, but they had so much more to worry about. At this point, the group, or there were signs of the group slowly drifting apart, and his departure was glossed over. Something was a brew in Horseman Town, and the horsemen would not be the same moving into the mid-90s. Back in the ring, it was now Arn's turn as he defended his TV title against former Midnight Express mentor Beautiful Bobby Eaton. The history between these two was a bit tangled by this point as J.J. Dillon ordered to jump Eaton created the catalyst that drove Arn to the WWF years ago. For the purposes of this match, Eaton was playing the face as he was supposed or was opposed by a member of the top heel stable in professional wrestling. The two began feeling each other out, and Ian hit a short arm bar before climbing up top. Arn would have none of it, and he also hit a nice reversal, slamming him all the way down out of the rampway. The enforcer attempted a pile driver on the ramp, but Ian wasn't worn down far enough just yet. They took things back into the ring, where Anderson quickly regained the advantage through a short Shot to the eyes. Double A went on to work heavily on the knee. Classic storytelling capitalizing with a rope-aided leg lock. When Ian tried his big comeback and went for a suplex, the leg buckled. R nailed a spine buster late, but Ian somehow mustered up the strength to kick out. R annoyed, assured refs he counted three. However, while the argument gets heated, Eaton hits his finisher and falls on top for the three count and the TV title. A classic match in TV title history. Therefore, I'll make this my match of the week. I'll make this one without Nature Boy Ric Flair involved. Go back, look up Super Bowl 91, Arn Anderson versus Ric Flair. Excuse me, Arn Anderson versus Bobby Eaton. I have Ric Flair on the brain. Look on the WWE Network from Super Super Brawl for the TV title, our match of the week. A classic match that shows you can have great storytelling. Follow the TV title format of a match and make a title prestigious. The crowd was hot for this change. Another blow to the horseman. Check it out on the network for just $9.99. All right, that's enough of that. Nevertheless, another blow to the Four Horsemen as the TV title, their only title, was out of the camp. It's now main event time, where we'll discover the true fate and future of the WCW world title. Ric Flair's got his rematch against Tatsumi Fujinami in a winner-take-all title encounter. Fujinami grabs an early advantage, wearing Flair down with his submission holds of all names, shapes, and sizes. As Flair begins to stand, Tatsumi nails a forearm and gets a two for his troubles. He hits another that sends Flair to the concrete floor. 
When the Japanese challenger takes the fight to the outside, Flair reaches into his bag of tricks and crotches him over the steel railing. As always, Flair tosses him back into the ring and goes right for the leg. He locks on his signature figure four leg lock early on, but Fujinami gets to the rope as the two arise. Fujinami somehow ends up on top with a sharpshooter, but Flair also nabs the rope. They head back out where Flair's bleach blonde white hair is smeared with red, covered with the crimson mask. Fujinami takes a strong advantage as we head into the ring. Flair flops, of course. Flair tries a scoop slam, but balances incorrectly, and Fujinami falls on top for two. Fuji looks for a roll-up, but Flair was awaiting him for the reverse for the three after nearly 20 minutes. Flair celebrates his victory. After another less than stellar yet easily watchable meeting between the two, officially Flair was the winner. Arn was the only undebated, uncontested champion as TV champ as, as the as the TV title holder, but he lost his previous match. Therefore, the only legitimate title was lost from the Horseman. That was until Flair finally became the victor over Tetsumi Fujinami. The remaining horsemen, with Oli moving back into more of an active role, will go on to continue their ongoing feud with Sting and his Dudes with Attitudes, a rotating crew of faces including, but not limited to, Gigante, the Steiners, Brian Pillman, the Junkyard Dog, and Bobby Eaton. These matches were included at an upcoming event known as Clash of the Champions in June. Pillman and Gigante were scheduled to meet Double A and Wyndham in a tag team loser of the fall gets out of town match while Flair took the still TV champion Bobby Eaton in a best of two out of three falls match for his world title. Meanwhile, WCW had been building Lex Luger steadily for well over a year in the U.S. title picture. He'd emerged quite successful after another feud with Nikita Koloff, but had yet to find a steadfast role as heel or face. Still, his victories have warranted a title shot against Flair at the upcoming Great American Bash card, a match in which many expected to see Luger's first world title victory over the Nature Boy. All that stood in his way was this Clash of the Champions card and the slim issue of Flair's expiring contract. The tag match turned into something uh, somewhat of a mess, both in the execution and the follow-through. Wyndham pinned Pillman, which meant that Flyin' Brian, the Flyin' one, should have been gone from the promotion, of course, right? Instead, the masked Yellow Dog began showing his face shortly after, in what looks to have been a poor attempt in, at recapturing the old Dusty Rhodes Midnight Rider magic. Regardless, the horseman went over relatively clean here in that schmoz of a match. In turn, we received the Yellow Dog making his debut in the promotion. Yet Pillman was not jumping ship going to the WBF. He somehow disappeared and this yellow dog appeared. Flair and Ian took each other to a, as good a match as could be expected, with Ian taking the surprise first fall with a fluke pin. 
Flair fought back and took a cheap countdown victory for fall number two and instantly drug Ian back into the ring to work on the leg. A figure four later and it was all over. Another great match. Check out Flair vs. Eaton Clash of the Champions 1991. On July 1st, only a few days after the Clash defense, Flair met with WCW officials to discuss the standings of his contract. It was expiring. As far as WCW was concerned, everything was in order. They labeled Flair as the loyal, aging superstar of the company. One who never even considered jumping ship. He'd been with the promotion religiously for more than two decades. You would say they had just cause for making that assumption correct. However, they made a bad move in telling Flair their future booking plans. The champ was scheduled to do the job to Lex Luger, a task which Flair had refused several times in the past. He didn't believe Lex was ready to be world champion. Nothing against Lex Luger. Ric Flair has documented this tremendously and extensively. Nothing against Lex Luger. This was directed toward his mind at the time for the stage that Luger was at his career and what others were at. There was a suggestion that Flair should drop the title to Barry Windham in which Flair promoted. Wyndham would then do the necessary job to Luger at the bash, but nothing came of it. In between the interim of of Ole being there and Dusty coming, I was I was booking the company. I didn't know that. I, I was I was in the office and just really waiting on Dusty to get there. Jim Hurd tried to be a bully with bullies, and he just didn't work out for him. Wrestling is a business, and you have to have somebody to get somebody over. And Spivey was in that position at that time. And sometimes, I mean, I put everybody over in the business. I've probably been beat more times than I ever won. I was next to be champion. And Rick was supposed to put me over. And he left with a championship and, and went to Vince. Uh, Did he object it, to putting you over? No, no, it wasn't that. He just. It was, you know, he blamed it on, on the money situation. I was there that night, and, and that was a night that we were supposed to use a, a third-party ring. And, and the word was that Vince had, had paid them not to show up. Did she exhibit any uh, skills that one said, hey, listen, you, you're not just a makeup girl. You, you're in, you can be on-camera talent and, and a focal point for this company. Strange things just happen sometimes in the business? <laughs> it really depends on who she was dating at the time. I know it was Mike Graham that took the squeegee away from Sid. Okay. You know, and the story goes that it was, that was Pillman, but it was Mike, and, and Mike told him he'd shove it up his ass. After all this, the two sides drifted even further apart within a span of just a couple of days. That was until Ric Flair announced that he signed a deal with the World Wrestling Federation and Vince McMahon. In turn, he was stripped of both his WCW and NWA world titles, respectively. Ric Flair was now a part of the World Wrestling Federation with the opportunity for a dream match, Ric Flair 
versus Hulk Hogan. And now the Four Horsemen was losing their leader, their patriarch. Ric Flair was gone from the promotion. What would this mean for the Four Horsemen? It should have ended there, but it didn't. Politics found a way to get even more involved. When the championship is placed on a man, he's responsible for its care. We discussed this before on Beyond the Bell. They're responsible for its well-being. It's making it to every night's event, night after night. Thus, a down payment of a large amount of money is standard as a collateral in case something happened to the gold along the way. This was the standard at the time. Now, I think it's typical for the championship to be brought from show to show. I heard there are two championships now. That's actually a fact. There are two titles. There's the house show title, and then there's the there's the, the titles that are to be seen on television television that look more presentable, that are brighter, you know, more colorful, that haven't been abused and worn and torn about from being traveled, putting into suitcases and traveling across the country, across the entire uh, globe. Nevertheless, at the time, this was the practice. A down payment was made. Flair had indeed put down his money when the title was given to him earlier in the year. And when the money wasn't returned upon his being stripped of the title, he took the title with him to the World Wrestling Federation. Well, when Rick did that, that's, an, that's just another one of those issues. That's, that's when, see, I, I, have, I have two opinions of Rick. I grew up from, from the time I was about uh, from 12 years old till now, you know, I've known Rick. So, I, so there I was, you know, I was a teenager, you know, I was working out and training at Rick's house. We lived one house apart, you know, Blackjack and Rick. You know, we got, there's one house between us. You know, I, I got to drive his limos sometimes, you know, and, and I would train with him. And my old man would walk down to his house and we'd train and we'd all train together. That's when I'm doing the 1500 hinge right. squats. So, I mean, Flair was really impressed with that, you know, because what we did is then they got to where they were timing me when I was doing them, see how fast I could do 1,500. So, I, I mean, man, just painful, you know, working out. But Rick, Rick has, you know, he always lands on his feet. And and I guess, you know, I, I do too. You know, I've been, I, I don't know if you call it luck or you call it, you know, just, just being able to roll with the punches. But, you know, you gotta stick in there. And, and, and when you do that, sometimes you have to take advantage of, of people. And I was I was one of the people that when he left, you know, what I was saying, you know, is you for years groomed people for the for the championship, you know, for the world belt. And it was about I think it was about two weeks before it was supposed to take place. That's not the one with cage match plus? Yeah that I was supposed to, you know, I was supposed to take the belt from Flair. And then we would, you know, we'd go around, and I probably would have put it back on him, you know, after a while. But he wasn't happy, and he left with the belt, and, you know, uh, you know the things that, that they did with the belt up in the WWF, and it was just, they really, they really just abused, you know, what, what that championship meant. And, 
And where the personal part came in there was just that Rick wouldn't do it for me. You know, there's kind of an unwritten code, you know, that, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not really spoken, but, but you're supposed to do the right thing. And that was when Rick left, and he 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 broke the he broke the chain of the way that the NWA championship and and then I guess it was maybe it was maybe it was combined later I think it was but anyway that's when he broke the chain of the way that business was supposed to be handled. Do you think it's because he was put in position by Jim Hurd and he had to do a power play by taking the belt over? Do you think he still could have passed the torch to it? Well. I don't know anybody that got along with Jim Hurd. You know, like I said, you know, his 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 practices with people is uh, uh, to say the least. No, that's okay. Go leave a message. Uh, he's, he wasn't a people person, so I'm sure that Rick probably had contract problems with him. You know, Rick wanted to be at a point where. Uh, I'll let this thing quit ringing. I think we only have two more. There we are. <laughs> anyway, Rick, uh, I believe, like you said, you know, it was a power play, but he handled it. He handled it wrong. But jumping ahead, you know, he was able to come back. But Vince, you know, they 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 went up there and they just they abused. You know they abused that, and they really ruined the reputation of what that was. WCW had to create a new World Heavyweight Championship, so that was when you know Luger and I did the thing, and because of losing Flair, you know a top heel, that Luger was in the position to where, you know they told me that the people that were there said, man, you know we know that it's supposed to be your turn, you know, but. With, with the way things have happened, you know, we just, we need Luger to do it. And I said, fine, you know, hey, let's do it. I'm not worried about it. So there, you know, I put Luger over with the thing, you know, with Harley right there. And, I, and as, as I remember, you know, I don't think it was, a, you know, any kind of, a, you know, questionable finish. I think I did it, you know, outright for it. Right. And, and, you know, that's what I always believed, you know, was trying to, when you're in the ring, you know, you got to take care of business. Once you're, once you're out of the ring and you're in the dressing rooms, you know, anything can happen. But that's why, that's why it's, it's pro wrestling, you know, it's, you know, sometimes, you, sometimes you gotta, you gotta really fight in the ring and sometimes, sometimes you can just, just walk through something. And then that was one of those deals where Flair left, and he just he kind of threw things into an uproar, you know, to where it was like it was a mess, and it had to be straightened out. SummerSlam 1981 featured an incredible backstage spot. Bobby Heenan took a camera along with him as he knocked on Hulk Hogan's dressing room door. Hogan turned, and Heenan offered up a challenge on behalf of the man himself, Ric Flair. And in Bobby's hands was the WCW World Championship, the big gold belt. 
It was a surreal sight, especially considering word of Flair's contractual difficulties was well kept. Was Ric Flair actually going to come? It wasn't publicized at this point. So just seeing that title on WWF television shook the professional wrestling world. Within the last 48 hours, ladies and gentlemen, executive vice president of World Championship Wrestling, Jim Hurd and the championship committee have stripped nature boy Ric Flair of his WC One of the things, I guess, that you probably, uh, one of the most controversial things mm-hmm. was your showdown with Ric Flair in 1991. Right. Uh, which led to Ric Flair going to the WWF. Right. Um, over a contract dispute, um, he, I guess, I guess, basically he, uh, in, in exchange for dropping the title, he wanted a, a contract extension. It was kind of a holdup. Uh, what was, what was your side of basically what happened with Flair and do you kind of regret it happening? Oh, regret it. I, you know, it was a stupid act on my part by allowing a, an old, I really didn't, uh, uh, really appreciate how deeply the Flair Dusty Rhodes, uh, hate was for each other. And, uh, when I made the mistake of bringing Dusty in as the booker, which was a, you know, humongous mistake for me. Uh, prodded by Petrick and, 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 and ratings and uh, lots of different things make you do dumb things. <laughs> and, but you gotta look at my, the other side of it. There weren't any, uh, runways and, uh, thunder cages and, uh, and fireworks and everything before I came along because Vince Sears Hell didn't have them before I, if you go back and look at the tapes, those entrances weren't around before Jim Hurd started them. But to go ahead with your question, uh, Flair was was holding out, and, and it wasn't the first holdout. I can go back to when uh, Flair. I couldn't get Flair to sign a contract. We were at the uh, we were at the Rosemont Horizon in, in Chicago, and uh, and it's time for the main event, and Flair won't come out, and I mean the feet are hitting the floor, and uh, uh, I think the roof's coming in, and he and I are in in the shower you'll pardon the expression, trying to, to get him to sign a contract upside down with an ink pen that won't write straight up. It took us <laughs> forever. And I thought we were going to have a riot on our hands. Finally, we got it signed, and he goes out and, and does his great normal performance. And, and so anyway, but to go back to the original question, yeah, Dusty was, Dusty, uh, was uh, instrumental in, in that, that deal. He won Flair out, and, uh, and so they convinced me that, we ought to not go ahead with the contract, and Flair, uh, Flair jumped and took the belt, and they, and they took the belt to New York. And as you, most of your fans know, they, uh, you know, who is a real champion? What is a real champion? They, uh, they uh, beat the hell out of the NWA belt and put it on their air, and I thought it was a pretty good deal. As is often the case, everything eventually sorted itself out. Flair publicly protested the questionable actions of WCW of the entire WCW committee by showing up on WWF TV every week with their own world title. He called himself the true world's champion 
and working it into all the angles or into the major angle of the company. WCW finally cracked and repaid his money in full and Flair returned the belt right away. There were rumors that Vince had asked Flair to hold on to the title for the sake of continuing the gimmick and McMahon would even pay the resulting legal fees from an impending WCW lawsuit. Nothing was confirmed, however, but Flair had too much class and stayed true to his word in returning the title. But that's just a rumor, of course, and Flair was WWF champion within a year, NWA title or not. Ric Flair was the man as WWF champion, therefore there was no need for the WCW title. As Flair stated, he had the real title, the real world title in professional wrestling, which in turn was a slap in the face to the NWA and WCW at that point. Nevertheless, Ric Flair was gone and now a part of the World Wrestling Federation. What would happen to the Four Horsemen? So at this time, don't go feeling sorry for WCW. The Great American Bash went off without a hitch. As far as their booking was concerned, things went smoothly. Lex Luger and Barry Windham met after Flair's departure, deleted the Horsemen from group contention, and Luger walked away with his first world title after years toiling in the mid-card. Asking about uh, Luger, or Larry, he is, uh, Larry is a, a phenomenal athlete in his own right. Uh, as far as pro football and, and, and I guess other athletics, the training and the weight training that he does, but Luger was uh, always tough to work with and uh, I basically had to work with him and train him in Florida and uh, it, uh, it took a lot of my ability and a lot of, a lot of blood. I mean, Larry was tough to work with and he was so stiff and so uncoordinated that, I mean, I've got hard ways on my head, stitches. There's probably one you can kind of see right here. It took uh, 22 stitches, but uh, I'll tell you a short story. Uh, we were in Daytona Beach and Luger was dressed up uh, uh, in the ring in his usual attire and I was the guest wrestler. It was a cage match and I was wearing a woman's dress and a and a, uh, oh, what do they call the things with the feathers and all that on them. Anyway, I was sitting at ringside kind of hiding. So what I did is I climbed into the ring over the top of the cage, got in the ring and was supposed to surprise Luger from behind and beat him up and we we're going to go through our match. Well, in the first 10 seconds of the match, I climb over the top of the ring, go up behind Luger, tap him on the shoulder and he throws his arms up and he elbows me right between the eyes and laid my head open about two and a half inches long and all the way to my skull. So the referee was a fellow named Bill Alfonso. I looked at Bill and I said, how bad, it is, bad is it? And he, uh, he said, man, we need to go home right now, meaning you know we needed to finish the match. And uh, I said, we can't do that. So he said, uh, there's no way to look at it. So I reached up and I put my fingers into the hole in my head and uh, <laughs> it had stopped bleeding at that point, but it was just laying open. It was huge. And uh, Luger was standing there looking at me, and Alfonso was looking at me, and I said, I, it's funny to say how these things go on in the ring, you know, when, when you're having a match and it's going on, but, you know, in our mind, you can have a whole conversation, whereas to the, to the fans or to the crowd, you know, it just it looks like a fleeting moment. But in, 
all that time there, we decided that we were going to go on with our match, and we went another 45 minutes with my head laid wide open, and Luger was about to puke, and Alfonso didn't want to look at it. And I was, uh, anyway, long story short, just Luger was just so clumsy and hard to work with that uh, I was the one that had to train him in ring. And the story about the gash in the head, uh, I had waited so long that night, and it swelled up so big that I wait till the next day to go and get it sewn up. And like I said, it was 22 or 23 stitches. So that's my first and most fond uh, story of working with Luger. <laughs> Flair's path crossed once more with former horseman Sid Vicious, now dubbed Sid Justice, in the main event scene of the WWF. Though the two never had anything of or any what uh, any somewhat of a, a feud, they clashed, but nothing extensive. Justice and Flair were the last two men in the ring at the 1992 Royal Rumble, a rumble which granted the winner the World Heavyweight Championship, the WWF title, as at this point the title was vacant. As Justice smiled on the winding Flair in the closing moments of the big brawl, arguably the biggest rumble in WWF, WWE history, the world title on the line. Flair had drawn number three, and it lasted all the way to the finish. Hulk Hogan surprisingly yanked Justice out from the floor, giving Flair the nod in what many consider to be the greatest rumble of all time. Justice and Flair both found themselves in competition for the main event of WrestleMania 8, but they weren't fighting each other. The event held the first double main event in WrestleMania history as Flair defended and lost his world title to Macho Man Randy Savage while Sid Justice took part in a grudge match against Hulk Hogan. Ironically enough, the man WCW had so firmly backed in their rebellion against Flair, Lex Luger made his jump to the WWF official with this show through a satellite interview. Flair would go on to defeat Savage for the title in the months after with help from his friend and colleague Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, before granting Bret Hart his first world title a month later, Flair's contract would soon expire. He was faced with a recalculated role in the mid-card of the WWF. It didn't quite fit, even though he said he had a great year on the company, arguably one of his best, after his world title loss, he didn't fit in what the WWF was going towards with Monday Night Raw. So after his contract was up, he decided to triumphantly, Ric Flair decided to return home to WCW and the chaos therein. While Flair was gone, however, let's jump back to WCW land and what would happen to the Horsemen. While he was gone, Arn had joined another stable. Since the horsemen were disbanded, Arn Anderson found another home, another group to call his home. Paul E. Dangerously's Dangerous Alliance. Though the group had disabled by the time Flair returned, it was actually quite successful for its time and gave AA a good angle to work with while Flair was absent. Rumors were almost instantly sailing regardless regarding yet another Horseman reunion. 
Like Arn, Barry Windham had flourished in Flair's absence. After losing the world title bid against Lex Luger, Windham took the role of the Lone Wolf and found success as a technician. When Flair returned to the fold, Windham was champion of the resurrected NWA slash WCW. The stage was set, and the important players were once again returning to the scene. After a successful, I would say very successful, WWF stint, Flair had proven his worth to the skeptical WCW crew once more, and they needed him now more than ever. Following a tumultuous 1992 and on the brink of an, an even worse 1993, WCW turned to their multiple-time world champion to once again bail them out. Though he couldn't technically play an active role until midway through the year, due to his previous WWF contract, it prevented him from having the ability to participate in in-ring competition. He could be on television which promoted the brand new talk show segment for Ric Flair, which we'll get into in, in the next installment of The Horseman Files. The Nature Boy could not participate in the squared circle for WCW at that point. Flair seemed ready to grab the ball and run with it. With loads of new faces to work with, what would 1993 have in store for the Horseman? Another crazy two years in horseman history so much happening with the world title coming back into rick flair's hands after beating tatsumi fujinami and anderson losing the tv title and then rick flair leaving wcw to join the wwf the horseman disbanding officially for the first time in its history since its inception officially the horsemen were done at that point once rick flair was gone Arn joining another group in the dangerous alliance which was a very underrated group in itself and then another member of the horsemen leaving sid vicious turning sid justice in the wwf then after his contract expired rick flair returned home to wcw with Ric Flair's hold on his in-ring competition, he would now turn to his duties behind the mic, hosting his own talk show segment. Now, there was an opportunity for a 1993 to behold a reunited Four Horsemen. What would happen? We will cover these historic moments in Four Horsemen history in the 1993 edition of the Horseman Files. Don't count the Horsemen out yet, as they will be back and ready to take over WCW. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. And I want to take a moment to let you guys know that personally, I appreciate the support that we've had here on the SNS Radio Network over the years. And I'm here to tell you about a new way that you can help us out and show your support for the SNS Radio Network. We now have a way for you to donate to the SNS Radio Network. If you go to the SNSRadioNetwork.com main page, scroll down. There is now a donate button on the page. Now, I'm not saying you have to donate to us. Your donation is very appreciated as we do a lot of hard work on the SNS Radio Network. Spend a lot of our time and our own money to make sure that you guys have uh, 
entertaining podcasts and live shows on the SNS Radio Network. So to those who have donated so far, on behalf of the SNS Radio Network, we appreciate you and your continued support. And for those that will donate in the future, again, we thank you for your support of the SNS Radio Network. www.snsradionetwork.com providing you with free podcasts since 2010. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. WWE 2K15. Feel it. Rated T for Teen. Available on the Xbox 360 and PS3 on October 28th. And on Xbox One and PS4 on November 18th. Ooh, Chavo! Chavo, Yo, what's going on? This is Chavo Guerrero Jr. And you're listening to Unplugged on the SNS Network. Viva la raza! That wraps up another edition of The Horseman Files. We archive the years 1991 and 1992 in the history of the most illustrious group in professional wrestling, the Four Horsemen. Flair leaving the promotion, joining the WWF, disbanding the Horsemen, then returning. What would happen to the Horsemen coming up in 93? I cannot wait to archive that year as well on our next edition. 91 and 92 were very transitional years for the Horsemen. For the very first time, they were disbanded. Some thought they would never see the Horsemen again. Don't count them out. The Horsemen will be riding high soon, just a couple of months after the returning flare. We will continue on with the Horseman Files, I believe with one more edition as we round out the year, and we'll continue through the mid-90s to the late-90s, through the end of WCW, during the early part of 2015, so we hope to wrap up our Horseman Files series, which has been running since almost the beginning of Beyond the Bell in early 2015. I'm excited to wrap up that series. Remember, you can catch all of the archive shows of The Horseman Files and other series and other editions of Beyond the Bell at btbcast.com as well as they are archived weekly and debuted weekly at snsradionetwork.com. If you want to go back and watch videos and audio of my ring announcing, what I've done recently and in the past, you can go to my official ring announcing site, ringannouncing.com. Beyond the Bell is also archived at that site as well as that was the originator. That site was the original holder. Your home for Beyond the Bell before we created btbcast.com this past year. But ringannouncing.com is still active as it primarily features my announcing side. Watch me announce some of the greatest stars in professional wrestling. Watch my demo reel and just see what it's like to be an independent ring announcer currently at ringannouncing.com. Don't forget to listen to all the other podcasts and live shows 
at snsradionetwork.com, the whole indie show, the Elite Force podcast, Sticks and Flicks, of course, the flagship shows, Unplugged with Jeff Jackson, Tony J. Mirabella. Don't forget Unplugged CT as well, as they talk about more of the controversial side of things, the uh, mysterious side of the world outside of wrestling. It is once a month on the SNS Radio Network and also Sunday Night Showdown during every pay-per-view. You can listen to Showdown, SNS Showdown, Sunday Night Showdown with a plethora of hosts, exclusively Tony J. Mirabella and Jeff Jackson. As they cover the pay-per-view, you can listen live, dual audio, Showdown and the pay-per-view, either on the network or on pay-per-view. On your cable provider, you can follow it hand-in-hand, Showdown, and the WWF TNA Ring of Honor pay-per-views. Next week on Beyond the Bell, we will return with part two of the history of professional wrestling and video gaming. Part one covered the early 80s through the late 90s into the Attitude Era. So in celebration of phase two, the phase I'm excited for... For the PS4 and Xbox One, we will see the release of WWE 2K15. So in celebration of the Phase 2 release for the next-gen systems, we debut Part 2 of our series covering the THQ, the infamous THQ-produced WWF series, WWF WrestleMania 2000, WWF No Mercy and on into the SmackDown series, which turned into Raw vs. SmackDown, which leads us now to the 2K line. We'll cover the 2000s and on to the present day gaming in part 2 of the history of professional wrestling video gaming next week on Beyond the Bell. Let's take it home with some old school music, courtesy a barbershop window, the place that makes your wrestling wardrobe cool again. One of the original sponsors of Beyond the Bell. We'll take it home with some old school music courtesy of the legendary Four Horsemen group. One of their rivals at this point was none other than Flying Brian Pillman. So we're going to wrap up this edition with the official theme song for Flying Brian in WCW as another coincidental rivalry between the Horsemen and Pillman would be very ironic in the years to come as the Flying One would become an eventual Horseman. So as we wrap up the 91 and 92 edition of the Horseman Files, we'll take it home with some Flying Brian WCW music. Let's celebrate the life of the former Cincinnati Bengal and former WCW and WWF superstar, the Loose Cannon in WCW. So until next week, fans, when we rewind and relive all things retro in the world of wrestling video gaming as we celebrate WWE 2K15 on BTB, this is your personal ring announcer, independent ring announcer extraordinaire, Sean Beckerman, signing off. And as always, remember, stay kiss-stealing, Wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a guns. Of course, my old school friends. Good night, everybody.
students, class is in session. Professor Sean Beckerman takes you back in time to relive WCW 101, the history of World Championship Wrestling. Relive the historic rise and fall of WCW on Beyond the Bell, your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast on the SNS Radio Network. Listen to the entire series now at btbcast.com. Oh,